Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this must be episode 141. Um, and this is a guy called Jerry Paul. Now, he's one of the, I reckon he's one of the last people I can think of that was on my original list to talk to. Uh, I certainly started asking him about doing the podcast when I'd done four or five episodes, so a good three years ago. And uh, and he was keen and has always been keen. But Jerry, if anyone knows Jerry, he is always busy, and you'll hear that. You'll be exhausted listening to to how much he gets through in a year when you listen to this. Uh, Jerry Paul's a friend. He's a musician. He's a uh, tour promoter, an event organizer, a children's entertainer, a published author. Uh, an award-winning songwriter, uh, a session musician. Uh, he has toured internationally. He has lived abroad. He has brought lots of acts to New Zealand. Um, and so we talked about all of this. Uh, he was in a band called Grada, and they were an Irish band with a couple of Kiwis in them. First off, we start talking about Andrew Laking, who's one of the organisers of Lit Crawl. You would have heard about him if you're a, a regular podcast listener. You would have heard him twice on the podcast. So we talk about Andy. Um, and also at the end of this podcast, we uh, we talk a bit about John Prine, and uh, we must have recorded this. We definitely recorded this before it was announced that John Prine was coming to New Zealand, and so I'm leaving all of that in our speculation. But I I wonder what Jerry knew because uh, I reckon we recorded this a day or two before it was announced that uh, John Prine would be coming back to New Zealand for the first time in a quarter century. Uh, Jerry is also uh, the organiser of the Costello Music Festival. He is one of the um, programmers for the Wellington Cuba Duper Festival, which is a, a massive undertaking. Um, and uh, because he didn't have enough on his plate, um, he decided to create uh, an Irish festival, which uh, happens across three cities in New Zealand next week. I'll have a link to the details for that. It includes, I guess the big name musically is Damien Dempsey. Um, it includes some comedians and um, even some movies, some Irish cinema. Uh, and uh, something like 60 acts across uh, four days in three cities, Christchurch, Auckland, Wellington. So, yeah, when he's when he's not doing all that, uh, Jerry plays uh, shows at kindergartens, and um, he uh, created an album and a book that's done very well um, for children. Hank the Wrestling Shark, and he's looking at doing um, TV programs. Um, God, he's just always doing something, and uh, it was it was fun to finally pin him down for for this conversation. Um, so I hope you enjoy listening to this. This is me talking with the always busy um, Jerry Paul. He has got some stories, so yeah, I, ho- I think you'll really enjoy this. I now can't actually work out how we met. I just feel like I've known you for a long time. Yeah, I think it would, um, you first... Um, you know, came into my radar uh, through Andrew Laking, and yeah. probably, I was going to say Grada, possibly through hockey, right? Some and a okay. hockey connection. Yeah, right, right. I remember. Um, so Andy Laking, for those who don't know, is a well, he's mate. been on the podcast. Yeah, oh, he has. Of course, yeah, yeah. he has under the um, under the uh, banner of Lit Crawl. Okay, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, uh, myself, and him met when we were quite young. He was playing in a trio with Justin Firefly mm. uh, at a little house party around in Eastbourne. Mm. And I was out there because the guy having the party was my spearfishing mentor. And I heard I heard Andy playing the bass and I was like, oh. at the time I was playing quite a bit of Irish music. Mm. 
So I was born in Ireland, but grew up in, in the beautiful Lower Hutt, mm. and uh, spent a lot of time learning how to accompany my mum singing traditional Irish songs, mm. as well as uh, jamming with people at the Irish club. And when I heard the double bass, perhaps it was one of the first times I'd really heard a double bass up close. Mm. You know, maybe I was 16 or 17, and I started thinking about how that would work with Irish music. Um, so to try and snare him for the band that I was playing with, I joined the university, the varsity hockey squad. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah and okay. we got up there. And right. <laughs> so that would be about the time I sort of was dipping out of hockey. Yeah. You know, so I, Derek Wilshire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I remember seeing him at, a, at the uh, one of the Grada gigs. Exactly, yeah. And going, oh, yeah, I know, you know, I know the connection here. Like, Completely. Obviously, because uh, Andrew Laking, as I, as, I, as I said on the podcast when I talked with, with him and Claire, and he was quite... Uh, you know, he's he's a pretty low key, yeah. humble guy, yeah. and he was quite embarrassed by this. But I mean, he was a, a fearsome hockey talent. He was oh, amazing. A, a, like yeah. a, a, I want to say a world class player. Well, he, he made the New Zealand yeah, squad. He was, yeah, exactly. Very young. He was, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was a he was a New Zealand varsities player, and he really yeah. was like a world class uh, sports talent. Yeah. Uh, and yet he he had none of the kind of cliche competitive drive. In sports, Completely. you know, he was he was a gentleman on the, yeah. on, the on the field when everyone else he's was, like that. He can actually yeah. turn his hand to anything yes. and be really yes. successful at yeah, it. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. And and he's got that in his musical approach, and that Completely. you know he's he's kind of just this absolute safe pair of hands Completely, that yeah. can play sort of any genre and any yeah. style. And yeah, 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 yeah. So that's so right. what happened is that soon after that, well, a couple of years after that, as soon as I finished school... Um, well, what sort of, I don't remember you playing hockey. What sort of hockey player were you? I was yeah. quite aggressive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. I remember playing the Indians one weekend and yeah. then I was like, mate, you need to stop rugby tackling people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I dropped the shoulder a bit too often and I enjoyed it, but yeah, I yeah. sort of picked it up too late and didn't have right. the finesse of the skills, yeah, yeah. you know? Because I, I, was, I was good until I got here and then I got you know way more interested in drinking pints yeah. and, and <laughs> going to get going to gigs and, and you, you know anything else you yeah. know like I'd done all the work early on with hockey and then yeah. I just I mean I had injuries and stuff that happened too that kind of forced me out but yeah 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 funny so because uh, I remember you guys I remember seeing Grada and and knowing there was this Kiwi connection yeah well I, I went I went over to Ireland at 18 and basically spent two years uh you know, playing mm. two or three gigs a day. So you were born um, there. How long did you live? Uh, till I was six. Okay. So then we were over here till 18. And then yeah. I, as soon as I finished school, yeah, I went to St. Pat's and Silverstream. And to be honest, it was a bit of a bullyish rugby sheep culture. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get out of the place. Yeah. And I went to uh, back to Ireland to play music, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I went over there and I was quite lucky. I met a guy called Alan Doherty, who yes. I've had a long time musical uh, relationship with. And uh, he's one of the first people I met over there, mm. and he got me playing gigs, three gigs a day. So an 18-year-old going from just having left school to earning a couple of hundred euro a day and free pints all day, it was like living the dream, mm. you know? Well, where did you, before that, where did, I mean, you mentioned, you, you mean, your mum has this whole kind of knowledge and history and lived and learned experience of Irish song, right? She can sing yeah. and she's got the repertoire yeah. and you grew up and learned to sort of accompany her. But, Completely. But what beyond that was your musical kind of apprenticeship and training? What other formative things happened before um, going to Ireland? Well, I'd, um, I'd learned off a, an amazing woman called Mary Hazelwood. Yeah. And she lives out the hut and, uh, you know, down by the hut hospital there. Mm. And uh, I used to get a you know, lessons off her from the age of about eight to maybe, you know, 15. Mm. And she would just give you songs 
I actually give you three new songs every week. Mm. So over the course of, you know, eight years, awesome songs. She'd give you the, the latest kind of pop songs. She'd give you all the Beatles stuff, you know, mm. Peter, Paul and Mary. Like random, random yeah. repertoire. Yeah. And so, and then I just learned songs off the radio, you know. Yeah, yeah. And at school I was, was more into playing blues and, you know. Now we're gonna we're gonna try and do this in a sort of timeline kind of way, which is which is how how I tend to do it. But um, I'm gonna point out at this point for people listening, um, and some people will know this, some won't. But you have these sort of multiple careers that are all basically yeah. basically based around music and entertainment. Completely. But, but essentially, and we'll we'll tick them off as as we get through them and maybe add some. But essentially, you're you're a musician. You've been a working touring. Um, gigging musician, uh, almost I want to say a freelance musician. And yeah, the, a session the, musician. A session player, yeah. a guy who's turned up and played with uh, some, you know, some internationally renowned musicians, and you still regularly um, ply your wares here. But you're a promoter, you're yeah. an event organizer, um, a children's entertainer, yeah. a, a, ch- a published uh, author of a children's book. Yeah, and uh, and. Yeah, I guess one or two other things, but those those are the sorts of hats that that you wear sometimes more than one at once. Yeah. Completely. So so your journey starts really in terms of going. This is going to be my career when you move to Ireland and and get get on board with Alan and start doing yeah. these gigs. Yeah. Yeah, and and from and and from then I came back briefly and I did a year at Victoria mm. where I thought I was going to. You know, shoulder charge some hockey players. (laughs) Yeah, do do a degree, but you know, after having played music for a couple of years and living off it, yeah, it was a little bit. um, I just wanted to get back into it. Yeah, so I moved back to Ireland after nine months. Yeah, and Andy Lakin came over with me. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we started Grada. Now Mm. we were really lucky. We started an Irish band at the time, just sort of in the middle of the Celtic Tiger, Mm. where Irish music was hugely popular. Mm. Um, Nearly every festival around the world, whether it be a, a folk or it was still echoes of river dance. Yeah, but it had progressed <laughs> Not, from there. As yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Know? I was going to say it's a bit like that, like those touchstones, like um, you know, the the soundtrack to Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, kind yes. of kind of created the alt country completely movement yeah. for people, right? Yeah. And and people and the river dance in a weird way. Yeah. And, and obviously that's naff as fuck to a lot of people, but in a weird way, it is. But that, it set it, you know? it set things up, and people because I mean I played in an Irish band around that time too. Yeah. Um, here, just just a basic sort of pub Irish band, but yeah, people people you know people's knowledge of Irish music went beyond the river dance and Van Morrison and the Pogues yeah. to to starting to get into these people that that you know had actually been doing it forever yeah. you know Mary Black and yeah. so forth you know and and all sorts of different the styles band yeah yeah, 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 it's yeah sort of started that's being right. revived in and the fi- 60s yeah that's right and finding out that there was like um, you know horse lips and stuff there's like yeah. metal prog fusiony yeah. Irish bands there's you know balladeers there's Country folk, bluegrassy stuff. Yeah. There's, you know, rock the bombast like you two and stuff. There's yeah. All these different things. And Rory Gallagher. Yeah, 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 yeah. These, you yeah. know, all these, yeah. all these bands, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's after moving back there, I basically based myself between Dublin and Galway for the next like mm. eleven years, and uh, we were really lucky with Grada. We went to play in. So Grada the, played in New Zealand a few times. You came back four, here. Toured yeah. New Zealand four times. Yeah, because I remember seeing you at least twice. I feel like I might have seen three. We we toured really hard. Mm. So we, we were quite lucky in the space of it, about two years. We went from doing our first show, mm. recording our first CD, to being about nine or ten months on the road. Mm. And you had 
success internationally like it wasn't yeah. just it wasn't just an island in new zealand you no were, japan you, you, was a really yeah. good territory for yeah. us we sold america. a lot of records there america we toured hard we did about you know eight years in america wow up to three months a year mm. you know we've played around about i think 42 states wow um so you know we really put in the hard work there we were with a nashville based uh record company called compass records yeah and uh they had a lot of really great bluegrass uh players as well as a good culture so it was about a five or six five piece band yeah five to six yeah and anytime we seemed to make more money we we expanded the band <laughs> right so we get in horn players or cello players and you know but the basic structure was a upright bass acoustic Mostly acoustic guitar, yeah. flute, flute, fiddle, vocals, and vocals, yeah, and, and percussion. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, what was the woman's name? Who uh, Nicola was, was the original singer. Anne Marie. Yeah, yeah. And, and they the, both played the baron. Yeah, I was going to say you had baron in there, yeah. which which is very percussive. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. Very unique and and kind of party trick. A little bit too. Eh? Yeah. I, I imagine in America and 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 in New Zealand. I remember being in the audience when you played up at the university. That's right. Yeah. And you could tell there were people who were like, "Well, what's this party trick?" Yeah, you yeah. know, a little bit. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and having, I mean, I've got one some oh, over there. I was going to say I've got one somewhere. Baron, um, you know, having had a go at playing it, like it's you know, it's a lot of fun when you can actually get to it. But um, it's challenging. It's, though, it's challenging. Yeah. It's not you know, it, 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 to to and to be able to actually perform it on stage yeah. keep it going and actually integrate with a band yeah it's, it's, it's amazing it's, you it's know? really amazing yeah yeah i think on one of you know stevie wonders tours a couple of years ago he had a bar on play yeah, yeah. traveling around with yeah. them, you know it's uh yeah it's been used in, in a lot of different genres and there's been some yeah. players a guy called john joe kelly from manchester yeah who is like a full drum kit on the bar on i remember seeing um clannard about yeah. uh you know 25 years ago and um and it, yeah, it was great. It was an amazing show. I loved it. But I remember when the Baron came out and they used it as as was the way with Clan and very atmospherically. Yeah. But it was kind of like, holy fuck, you know, what is this? Like this kind of summoning thunder. Completely. It was yeah. huge. Yeah. Such yeah. a huge sound. So yeah. So this this was a good live band. Yeah, it was and great. You and had and you had a handful of records. We did five records yeah. over the years. You know, yeah. we sold these. I think we sold fifty thousand records or something. You know, of the of the last mm. couple, mm. Um, they did reasonably well. Uh, a lot of them we sold on tour. Who yeah. was writing? Everyone. Um, we were all writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andy Laking was more of the lyrics person at yeah. that stage. I yeah. got more into that um, later on, as yeah. well, along with Nicola, Alan, um, and myself would uh, you know collaborate in a lot of the melodies. Yeah. And we'd write a lot of it collectively. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, what started happening, we were playing at all these festivals through America, a lot of bluegrass festivals yeah. and Americana ones would, would have an Irish band and uh, we started mixing a lot more with Americana musicians Yeah, and I, that's where I met Tim O'Brien. Right, who um, I was a huge fan yeah, of. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's one of those people who, I mean, maybe a lot of people haven't heard of him, but th those that know, know that this guy's... You know the the real deal. Who's, yeah. who's who's again one of these people with a couple of careers. You know he's got yeah. his own stuff. Yeah. But a lot of people might think who the fuck's he, and then they find out they've actually heard him because he's worked with people like Mark Knopfler. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know T Bone Burnett. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's he's written songs for the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, yeah, Garth yeah, Brooks. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say one of his one of his jobs is a professional songwriter. Yeah. Basically, like, and he's made a lot of money yeah, from songwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so he's one of those kind of great, constantly gigging, working session players who yeah. who has been fortunate th through his great talent 
to have a really nice income stream yeah. coming through some songs. And he's yeah. a real people's person, you yeah, know. He's yeah, just yeah. a fun... He just loves music so much, that guy. So you've ended up playing with him quite a bit. Well, yeah, so that's... He He said to me, uh, one day we had breakfast, I mean, me and him would love drinking whiskey and mm. uh, having a toke and telling jokes, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we had a breakfast one morning and he said, uh, Jerry, I'd, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. I said, well, let's make that happen, you know. So we got on board Trevor Hutchinson, who is one of my musical heroes, yeah. the double bass yeah. player from the Waterboys, you know, yeah. Fisherman's Blues, he done yeah, all those yeah. big albums, you know, and uh, we put a trio together, went That's to right. Nashville, recorded a, an album. The Two Oceans Trio. Two Oceans Trio, yep. yeah, and yeah. and then uh, and then started touring it, yep. and uh, playing with Tim was just just such a buzz, you know? Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that show, well, one, uh, I don't know, that I saw, saw the Two Oceans trailer and I thought you guys yeah. were great. It, it, it was, was fun, so good. fun yeah. material, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was really uh, happy material, yes. there's yes. a real depth to it. Yeah. Like Tim, every song he yeah. he sings, he's got a real reason behind singing it, you yeah, know, yeah, and he's yeah. attached to it in some yes. way. And, uh, he, he, I mean, playing with kind of monster players like that, yeah. you just improve exponentially. Yeah. You really have to, I remember before a tour, three months out, you know, putting five or six hours practice in a day. Yeah. Which is frustrating to think about now, because I, I do about that every two weeks, you know, if I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, you know, you really need to work going into a tour like that. Mm-hmm. Be practicing with a metronome every day. Yeah. Make sure your timing is completely on. Yeah. You know, figuring out the subtleties of, yeah. of where he sits, you know, yeah. within the beat. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, just a wonderful experience playing with him. And some of the people I got to meet, I mean, we went through a, a lot together on the tours, First tour, his father passed away during the tour, so that was a huge, mm. obviously, you know, life moment. And uh, then the next one, his wife left him um, in the Jeez. middle of the tour. Right. So you sort of, I'm yeah. surprised you ever wanted to work with me again. Yeah, whether I jinxed him or not. But because of that, we uh, became very close, you know. Mm, mm. So um, for for the for an album after that, he flew myself and Trevor over to Nashville. To record on his wow. album, yeah. um, which you know he's got the pick of Brian Sutton and the best guitar yeah. players in yeah, America. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. such a privilege and honour to be asked to yeah. him to fly me over and play on it. Yeah, you know? wow. And the trip was just like a, a bit of. And a, it speaks to that. Um, well, to the connection that you guys have formed, right? Yeah. It speaks to would not not obviously you're a good player. He wouldn't just suffer you because he liked you. But, no. But it speaks to that as well. Is what I mean. That, it that, does. That he's, I remember one day he can't get. He can't get your personality coming through in the playing of someone else. Completely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, you know, you have to believe that in any way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one day at the end of the recording, we were sitting outside and again having a, a little dram, and he said, Jerry, you make me feel like a young man again, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that's why I got the gig. But, yeah, uh, well, that's, hey, well, that's, yeah. that's you know, this is it, though, uh, you know, as a, as a person who assists, yeah. you know, in music, which is... And like, he, you know, that's an important thing. To, to, it's to, funny you say that because he said uh, he, when he was giving me direction about how he wanted me to play on the album, he said just keep it simple. He said, you know, um, you know, uh, what's his Merle uh, Travis? Yeah. Um, you know, they named Merle Fest afterwards. Mm, you know, mm. um, he said he always just played the same or less than his dad. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, the, the, yeah, I guess the thing with Tim is he wanted me to keep it very simple. Yeah. yeah. Just be real steady and back him up, you know. Mm. Come in with melodies to complement him or little harmonies, but yeah. actually keep it very simple. Um, but that trip to Nashville was amazing. It was like we got over there and, uh, you know, the first night we went out to dinner and we're sitting with this guy, a friend of Tim's, who joined us for dinner and we we're talking about spearfishing down yeah. in the Bahamas and he spent a lot of time. And then he started talking about his dad's grand piano that he'd inherited and I was like oh who was your dad he's like it was Johnny Cash you know so we're sitting there having dinner with John Carter Cash you know talking about spearfishing and it's like uh, and such a good guy yeah, and of course yeah, yeah. I guess because we found that sort of topic subject that he was passionate to talk mm, about you mm. know uh, amazing you know and and you know it's always wonderful to hear those stories where someone like that is engaged about something other than completely other than the leading oh you um, know what was it like growing up being Johnny Cash I mean, you know and you're allowed to get to that when you've formed yeah. the connection around something else I mean I always think if, if I was to meet Bob Dylan for a day what yeah. would you do with him I'd go fishing with him I wouldn't ask yeah, him about music totally you know? like, yeah yeah yeah, oh, the <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for the, then the next night after that I remember we met uh, well uh Oh shit! The name's bloody slipped me now. He's obviously a big Jerry Douglas, oh, who's yeah. the most amazing yeah. dobro player yeah. in the Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a few points of him. A giant uh, of a man, you know. Yeah. He's huge and Is he? just right. such a musical giant as well. And yes. then uh, we were recording in John Prine's studio. Wow! So at the end of the uh, the week, John Prine came in. He's any boy's got any pot. <laughs> he's got all the drug dealers I know are either dead or gone to jail. <laughs> So he sat down and had a smoke and, li- and, li- and listened to the album, you know, wow. that we just recorded. Yeah. He goes, you boys make real fun music, you know. Wow. So just such a, you know. That's unreal, yeah. That's yeah, an amazing. Just um, in the presence of someone like that and yeah. so complimentary. Uh, then myself and Tim went down to Chattanooga to do a charity gig for a forest trail or something random like that. Mm. And the next day he's like, now it's a friend of mine's 75th birthday, so if you don't mind, we're going to buy some piñatas and go in and, and have a bit of lunch. And it was Norman Blake. Oh, wow. So Norman yeah. and Nancy Blake, yeah. uh, myself and Tim, uh, spent the whole afternoon with them jamming. Ah, right. Now, Norman Blake and, and Nancy, for those of you who don't yeah, know, yeah. Norman Blake was in Johnny Cash's band, uh, was on the on the show, you know. Yeah. used to play the fiddle, mandolin, yeah. banjo, guitar. Yeah. Probably like the godfather of... American folk music. Totally. Yeah, really, yeah, you know? yeah. And now, there's an amazing podcast with him. I'm trying to think what what the... Uh, it's, it's an, uh, I listened to it. Yeah, it's amazing. I can't think of it. In fact, the same podcast, the same guy had Tim O'Brien on as right. well, which was really good. Yeah, so, well, a couple of weeks before that, I'd been learning You Are My Sunshine, you know, <laughs> right, off, yeah, off yeah. the um, the soundtrack of Oh Brother We're Out Though, actually. Yeah. And I'd been learning it for a Botanical Gardens kids gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and next minute, I'm sitting in their, their lounge. Yeah. Um, Nancy, now, crazy, awesome people, you know. Mm, mm. He's got the biggest collection of guitars I've ever seen in my life. He had a room about the size of this house, and you've mm. got a decent-sized house, mm. but just with vintage guitars lying the whole perimeter. Wow, yeah. And he had an order to them, and old mandolins, and so we sat there and played these beautiful old waltzes, and wow. he sang songs, and uh, they, were, they were quite a funny couple, actually. I saw a wedding photo up there in the wall, and I was like, did you guys get married recently? They're like, well, we got married years ago, uh, then we got divorced, but the divorce didn't work out, so we got married again. <laughs> <laughs> what What's going through your mind when you're, you know, sitting there tinkering with instruments with a guy who's played in Johnny Cash's band, yeah. and, you, you know, you grew up in the hut, 
you know, yeah, ma- mucking around with guitars and in, in love with music, but obviously in love with spearfishing and yeah. and and life in general. And you know, do you have these? Do you have a moment like that, or meeting Johnny Cash's son, or playing with Tim O'Brien? Do you still have these moments where you're like, you know? Obviously, the the simple answer of how this happened is a lot of hours and a lot of hard work. But do you have moments where you're like, "How the fuck did this happen?" Yeah, today? completely. And yeah. I remember that afternoon, one being just taken away with the music yeah. because it was like very emotive. You know, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Nancy's in her sixties, Norman's in the seventies, and and they're playing just such beautiful music yeah. that has such depth to it. Yeah. And you, but there's the odd thing you turn around and it's like, whoa living the dream you know mm. and 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 that's awesome but great people you know mm. i think a, a lot of it this sort of stuff was happening because you're interested in people mm. you know mm. um so a, a trip like that was just amazing wow and uh so let's go back a step how did you get into i guess organizing shows and promoting was that through the well, tim o'brien thing no myself and andy managed grata yeah. predominantly so you were booking grata yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean as i said we played in over 30 countries yeah our first tour in america we booked ourselves right um you know first tour in germany we booked ourselves yeah first tour we did in new zealand and australia japan was 10 weeks yeah we booked something like you know 40 or 50 shows you know and you just learn to do it yourself and I always, I mean, I did it out of necessity, but I yeah. grew to like that sort of work as well. Yeah. You're dealing with good people. Generally, this sort of music, folk music, mm. um, you know, you're dealing with people who are really enthusiastic yeah, about warm. their music. That's why they're yeah. in the, yeah, they're not doing it for the money because yeah. there's not a truckload of money to be made. Yeah. So you actually end up meeting wonderful people and developing lifelong mm. friendships out mm. of it, you know. Um, so generally in the back of the van like we were probably on average would end up driving five or six hours a day mm. in a lot of these tours and you sit in the back of the van with your laptop just trying to plan the next tour you know or yeah. organising your merch or organising yeah. work visas and all, all that sort of thing Yeah. so I guess it was through necessity and you become more accomplished at it as you, as you go forward but what makes you think oh I should uh, you know bring some people out to New Zealand and because just, I want to share the music share the with music. people like yeah, Kelly Joe Phelps for example yeah. I've been a oh, big that, fan of his for so I remember long. when you messaged me and said um, you know do you know Kelly Joe Phelps I was like fuck yeah you're like I'm going to you know do you want to talk to him I'm going to bring him out to I'm like yes please and I had a great interview yeah. with him I loved it and then that show was just amazing yeah like, oh, that, that was, show oh, that, that was one of you know I actually had sort of forgotten about it for a minute but you bring it up as soon yeah. as you mention him I'm like that that show was incredible that was yeah. one of those ones where it's like you know didn't get to see Chris Whitley but it was you know something like that almost. Yeah, yeah I imagine yeah, yeah. no and, and that I mean I basically was really lucky I'd spend a, a, cut, a month on tour with him in Austria right um, it was like a triple bull show Grata with a headline Kelly Doe was next and another band from Scotland Ireland called Buller and uh, you know I formed a nice bond with Kelly Joe. plenty of red wines mm. and good discussions over the tour mm. and I said would you like to go to New Zealand and I said I'd love to people to hear your music and he's like well I've never been down there and I'd love to go you know yeah. I think people are often you get a lot of people talking shit in this industry yeah. and at first when you say things like that people probably dismiss it and think it won't happen yeah. but I called him up a year later and said Kelly Joe, 
let's make this work, you know. And at the same time, a band called the Foghorn String Band yeah. had been in contact with me about coming down. I thought they'd make a really good double bill, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sort of nice, uh, you know, against each other, a nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah, a similar theme going through it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's the motivation is getting people to hear the music. Yeah. You know, and, and shows like that where everyone goes away thinking, Jesus, that was nearly a spiritual yeah. experience here, you know. That's, that's what keeps you motivated because it's very stressful. It's very risky, um, you know. And and I guess I've also always... The reason I got into festivals after that is I jo- enjoyed so many festivals around the world, you know. Mm. If I think of, you know, a year when I was... 23, say, I played at, you know, I could name the festivals I played at, Cambridge mm. Folk Festival, mm. Janouda Folk Festival, Queen's Festival in Belfast, you know, um, Port Ferry Folk Festival in Australia, we did the Sydney Opera House that year, you know, if I go through each year, it's marked by shows. What were some of the um, most amazing things you saw, like maybe you didn't meet the person, maybe you didn't meet... You know, like you've got you told these stories about meeting people like John Prine and so yeah. forth. Maybe you didn't meet them, but were there are there a couple of sets you can think of where you're like, holy fuck, I just saw. You know, like we just talked about Kelly Joe Phelps, yeah. but you know, uh, have you got a story or two about people you're like, my god, you didn't meet? Yeah, well, it doesn't matter whether you met them or not, but just just people you've seen at festivals. Yeah, the, maybe po- the you're Pointer the- Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> we played before them wow. at an amazing festival called the Salmon Arm Roots and Blues Festival yeah. in British Columbia. Yeah. And just going on on before them yeah. and like going past them in the dressing rooms yeah. and they're all getting done up. Yeah, yeah. There was such a buzz around, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many yeah. really experiences like that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Bonnie Raitt, I've been lucky enough to meet on a number of occasions and, and her bands, you know, and been blown away just yeah. with wow. some, you know, some of these um, shows. So what what happens with Grada? Do you just call time because we just call time? We've been doing it for you, ten years. Yeah, you've I, done what you can do. Yeah, it kind of felt like yeah. that. You know, it felt yeah. like we were going around doing the same. Yeah, the same shows, and yeah. we got to a certain level. You know, and uh, to be honest, I, I wanted to start getting back home again. Yeah, uh, Andy, I think had inclinations towards moving home. Then um, I was starting to get more interested in different types of music. Yeah, and also production. And, uh, you know, when you're on the road all the time, it's pretty mm. hard to to be able to get the opportunity yes. to do that, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started, I was I was living uh, with a guy, Trevor Hutchinson, who I mentioned before, in mm. a studio in Dublin, and I was like the studio bitch, you know? So I'd set up all the mic cables yeah. and mic leads and yeah. make people tea, you know? When Sinead O'Connor was in, I'd be making her cups of tea, etc. cetera, <laughs> you know? Um, and I picked up a lot of... Um, skills in the studio. Yeah. I, I never learned to engineer, which is perhaps one one regret. But I was I was very interested. And in which Sinead O'Connor's having tea. Yeah. Uh, how many lumps of marijuana does she have? One <laughs> no, or two. Just a couple of sugars and a real blue, real <laughs> dark black tea. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was th- that production. So uh, and and also developing other styles of music. I I hadn't played the electric guitar in years, and I wanted to get back into playing the mm. electric. And, and start developing, you know, mm. other areas. Mm. Um, so we called that ahead, and I actually moved to Berlin then for for 18 months. What's and, happening there? Oh, it's just a good hang, yeah. you know. In yeah. between other tours, I'd go there yeah. and end up playing in these weird, like, Brazilian jams and electronic <laughs> clubs and, yeah. you know, dive bars. And I met a really good bluegrass player over there called Aaron Jonah Lewis, 
fabulous musician, banjo, fiddle player, mm. could play anything, you know, and spent a lot of time just me and him jamming in random apartments around the city, you mm. know. Uh, but it was good. <laughs> I, I, I wrote that kids' album during that time. Yeah, I was going to ask when that came up, and how did that come up? I mean, you're a father now. Yeah. But, like, a lot of people, like, you know, well, so Anika Moa has been very successful with her children's albums, yeah. and they have... I guess they have come about large well they have come about the story as they come about because she was singing songs to her, to her kids to her kids but you make a, a kids album long before you're a father yeah so I was coming back to I mean I really made a big effort to get back to New Zealand yeah. pretty much every year and though you know 12 13 years I was away mm. uh, one because I love getting home and diving spearfishing mm. mm. obviously well, primarily to see my family but also I find if you leave it too long between trips you lose touch and connectivity with people you know um, a lot of friends were starting to have families at that time, and every time I go around to visit them, there's one friend, Damon and, two, Damon and Tracy, they had twins, and the kids just loved me singing songs. So I'd always make sure I'd bring around the guitar. Yeah, right. What do you want me to sing a song about? Yeah, yeah. And Joseph, the wee fellow, would say, Sharks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'd just make songs about sharks. <laughs> and uh, then I, I, you know, people kept on saying, oh, it'd be great to have recordings of these types of songs yeah. because. Uh, all the kids' music is really dumbed down yeah, and yeah, quite yeah. condescending, you know. It'd be good to have good music. Yeah. So I thought, oh, shit, why don't I just do that? Make a make a kids' album. So I was in Berlin. I just started uh, writing songs. And then I went back to Ireland and booked a house of my own for a couple of days down on the West Coast and wrote more songs there. And then uh, went recording it. And I guess the thing that I really enjoyed about that to begin with is there were no parameters production-wise or mm, genre-wise. Mm. With Grada, we always felt a little bit that we yes. had to fit within a certain yeah, yeah. style. Yeah. So this one, I, I got in a great group of musicians. I mean, I was yeah. pretty lucky. Because it was a kind of an interesting project, everyone wanted to play in it. Didn't you have the staves? Yeah, so the staves sung on a, <laughs> on a few tracks. Who, who people listening might... You know, might have just been turned onto the staves earlier this year when they played at the Arts Festival. Yeah. And uh, I think they do Auckland City Limits as yeah, well. Yeah, they play with Bon and, Yeah, yeah, and they've, you know, they've been around for a bit, but yeah, there might be some people that have just picked up on the staves in the last year or two, but you you had them as uh, harmony Yeah, well, I, I actually, I met them in album. Nashville when I was yeah. over recording with Tim, and then I went on and there was a guy I was managing at the time, Christoph van der Ven, who's still one of my favourite singers in the world, and uh, released an album this year, and mm. he's been supporting Bon and and Hammersmith and, and all, you yeah. know. Um, but I got them over to Ireland to support him, and I organised their first radio interview, first TV appearance, first in-store yeah. gig and all that. That was all those years ago. Yeah. And became great friends with them. But but that album, I mean, I got the drummer Dave Hingerty, who was playing with the Frames and, you know, yeah. plays all sorts. Yeah. Uh, Ray Davies guitarist, Bill Shanley, he played wow. the guitar in the album. Wow. Yeah, Tim O'Brien <laughs> on, on there. Yeah. Sharon Shannon. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's that tugboat song and I've got them all in one track. It's like mm. all my dream musicians. Of course, Trevor Hutchinson produced it with me yeah, on the yeah. double bass. Um, but we had so much fun. Like yeah. We just laughed so much. Yeah. I think it was the most enjoyable recording project I'd ever done. It was the least stressful. And it, it kind of started expanding my mind production-wise. And what was the success of it? Well... In in terms of just in terms of you know like what I mean you know you just started to explain what it did for you mindset yeah. wise but but I mean when did it sort of pick up in any way or well, you know, how was it received? But 
I put that song rant, and yeah. like I'm not really into competitions. And yeah, that, yeah. But Trevor's like, that's a great song that Hank the Wrestling Shark, yeah. you know. And so I put it into the John Lennon songwriting contest. Yeah. And it uh, it won the grand prize in it. Yeah. So a few months later, I had like ten grand worth of recording equipment and guitars and all this wow. sort of stuff flying in the door, which yeah. is amazing. I was swimming in Bondi Bay, which is in Australia, by the way. A very scary thing happened to me with the most terrifying creature of the sea. And because of that, a lot of people were emailing me saying, that'd make a great kids book. Mm. I was like, oh shit, yeah, it would actually, mm. I think. Mm. You know, again, not having kids, and not having yeah, yeah. been a big uh, Dr. Zeus fan, you know, and Margaret Mayhem and that. Yeah. Um, but so I put it up on my Facebook, the wonderful tool that it yeah, is. Yeah. Anyone know any animators out there? And I must have had 20 people uh, get in contact, and I got them to do samples of a few shark drawings. Mm. And the last one to come in was a young guy, uh, Tom Armstrong, um, from Nelson, my brother's, a mate of a mate of my brother's, and he just completely got the humour of the song. Um, so I decided to publish a book, you know, mm. which, again, you get you get into these things quite naively. I think if you knew the work that was involved, yeah, yeah. like a music festival or yeah. a book or, yeah, yeah. or you know... A well, this is, this is... I was going to get to this later with you, but that's been my impression is that you're, you're a... Uh, maybe maybe it goes back to the spearfishing thing that you're a guy who just likes to dive in yeah. and, <laughs> and wrestle with it, you know, go yeah. for it. And then you realise the work involved you as do. it happens and you're just... You're already in there but, and you're in there for the right reason. Yeah. So you just knuckle down and You do figure the work. it out. Yeah. I mean, it can be heartbreaking at times. I mean, I saw you the day before, and we'll get to this, but I remember, you know, Cuba Duper must be all sorts of fucking headaches. Yeah, And huge. the night before Cuba Duper, I see you in your high-vis vest, you know, having a pint in the bar, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's probably just one pint and then it's straight back to it, but yeah. just the fact that you're able to take these sort of 10 minutes out yeah. to go and do that, I'm like... How the fuck are you even upright? At yeah, this, yeah, at this you point? have to. Really. <laughs> I mean, you have to be for probably eight days in a row, and then you have to, you know. I think one thing that I've learned to do, um, and probably to begin with, and with Grad and that, I was always looking ahead towards the next mm. milestone, mm-hmm. and and forgetting to enjoy the little bits in between. Mm. And as you get older, I mean, especially with children and that, you mm. really, uh, you, you take the time to take ten minutes out. Yeah. And, and enjoy a, a special yeah. moment, or yeah. even if it is looking at your illustrations and <laughs> yeah. having a laugh, you know, yeah, yeah. around the book. Yeah. So I got the book published, and, yeah. uh, and I've nearly run out now. I sold four or five thousand copies, you yeah. know, and uh, ended up getting selected to get, represent New Zealand at the book fair in Frankfurt. So another random thing you'd, yeah. never, you'd never expect doing, but that, that was yeah. a great experience. Yeah. And uh, then randomly, I was. I was sort of based back here in New Zealand, but having gone from touring 10 months a year and playing to kind of hanging out in Wellington, doing a few kids' gigs and that, it was Yeah, I was going to say, so you, become, you kind of become a children's entertainer. Yeah, so through necessity yeah. of work, I mean, I gave a free copy of my book to every kindergarten in yeah. Wellington yeah. and charged them 150 bucks to go out and play for 45 minutes. Yeah. And I'd work my ass off, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I was, like, feeling a little bit... Lost, you could say. Yeah. Um, so I said, bugger, I'm going to go back to Ireland for a few months, at least go on the piss with my mates, if not yeah. do a few gigs. Yeah, yeah. So I went back and I did a gig two nights after I got back, and there was one of the producers from RTE there, which is like TVNZ, but radio as well. Yeah. And they, 
in two weeks after that, they were having their National Music Week, which was called Big Music Week, where they were taking a train around Ireland, um, converted the train into a recording studio, television production suite, and a performing space. And they would pick up, there was 50 artists, they'd pick up like two artists at the train station, you'd rehearse with them on the way to the next stop, then it would stop and you'd do a live to air on the national radio, mm. and then uh, do a video, and then you'd move on and pick up two more artists. And their musical director had just uh, pulled out. Um, so the next day I got the call from someone who'd been at the gig, it was my friends The Wileaways, whose first album I produced, and uh, along with them, and uh, he... He said, uh, would you be interested in, in doing the gig? And I said, mm. well, what does it involve? And he said, well, you've got to learn 70 songs in the next 10 days. You have to be musical, kind of basically take the musical direction on mm. for it. Um, you've, you're playing with the full RTE Symphony Orchestra, um, you know, and with a lot of my biggest musical heroes. Mm. Uh, the genres were kind of rock, trad, folk, pop, um, and jazz, and I said, to be honest, I can probably do all of them apart from the jazz, you know? Mm -hmm. I can't busk, I'm not a jazz player. Mm. And they said, well, that side's fairly minimal, we might be able to get around that, you know? And uh, so I got, a, <laughs> I had a week, I locked myself in an attic for a week mm. at, at a mate's place in Galway and, and learnt these 70 songs inside out. Um, and you know, the, the, my mates who are staying with Noli and Nicola, they were, instead of artists and residents, they were calling me the arsehole in residence, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we tinkering away, the amp fucking blasting upstairs in the attic. And, and, but that was just such an amazing experience. Yeah. It was basically, there was my, everyone else in the band had played in Van Morrison's band. Wow. You know, and uh, I was in with a, gr a group of real heavyweights mm. and we were playing, you know, the likes of Paul Brady, Luca Bloom, you know. Um, mm. It was every day, Sharon Shannon, Marcino Connor, you know, a lot of these people yeah. would have played at Womad as well. Yeah, yeah. Pop bands like the Heathers, Jerry Fish. It was just a real, ex real experience, you know. Now hang on, didn't you play on stage in New Zealand with Sharon Shannon? Yeah. Did yeah. you end up playing in her band for any length of time, or was that just A couple just of years. The, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I thought. I met her in Galway. It's funny because I went to see her at the Michael Fowler Centre when I was 15. Right, and wow. And she was a big, uh, she, yeah. a big, big Irish star. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. She played with U2, the Waterboys, yes. you know, everyone. Yeah. And, uh, and then had that big crossover success with Steve Earle. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. That Galway yeah. girl song. Yeah, Galway. yeah, yeah. And uh, she was really good to me in Galway, gave me a room in her house. I lived oh. with her, you know, for a while. And uh, Well, in fact, that made Steve Earle. That's crossover success for him, completely. Really, isn't it? That yeah. made that's made him. Well, Mundy Mundy yeah. did a version of it. Yeah, another artist that I promoted yeah. out here, yeah. and, and he went bigger than the Steve Earl song wow. itself. You know, um, but but through that trip on the train, yeah, I was just showing. I'd done a, a little music video for Hank the Wrestling Shark at the Massey Studios in Wellington yeah. with a young guy called Ryan Fielding at the time who. Did me an awesome deal, and yeah. we got a friend who was working at Weta Workshop to make shark suits and everything. I think I did the whole thing for about six grand. Yeah. And one of the the head of children's programming at RTE saw it while mm. I was doing it because I'd be singing the song. And they're like, oh, "Have you done any TV work?" I said, "No, nah, I've done this video." Mm. And they they actually said that's better than anything we've done in the house, you know. <laughs> um, so they said, "Why don't you come in and chat to us after this week is up?" So I went in and chatted to them, and they said, how would you like to do your own series with us? 
I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. <laughs> so I just love your stories. Yeah, we got talking about, of course, it was... They all sort of start the same way. Yeah, I, completely. You know, I met, I met someone having a pint once. And exactly, then the, And yeah. then, you know, and... and the bit that's always left out of the story is that, but which is what we're getting here, is that a tremendous amount of hard work, like yeah. loads and loads of hours doing stuff and yeah. learning stuff and being not kind to people and yeah. being interested in stuff. So I don't want to trivialise it, but your, no, your story does just, happen like that. You yeah, know? yeah. And so I went in, and of course, the conversation went back to spearfishing and the water and mm. how wonderful New Zealand is. And, yeah. And uh, so we ended up developing this character called Mr. Splash. And who is a bit like Mr. Bean, but for kids and mm. loves the water. Mm. And it ended up being one of the highest rated kids shows in Ireland in the last five years. To, to the stage where I go back now, and I remember going back for Pauline Scanlon wedding. Yeah. I was in a burger shop, and the <laughs> chef kept on looking out at me, and like, he came and delivered the burger himself. He goes, Are you fucking Mr. Splash? <laughs> It was like landing on the plane, the kids were like, there's Mr. Splash, mummy, you know? And then it, it quite sad, I was walking through Dublin, and it's got quite a bad heroin problem, and I saw this junkie, and he was nodding off, you know? And he would have been my age, and you kind of think to yourself, you know, he's just in his daily routine like the rest of us, mm, you know? Mm. It just happens to be a slightly different one. And uh, he kind of came to for a second, looked at me, and he goes, how are you, Mr. Splash? And... The, <laughs> And then he nodded off again, you know. I was like, oh, shit, you know. You could have shot that as a tourism video for <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> so it's pretty random. And uh, since then, I've <laughs> I've been working with a wonderful Scottish animator in Auckland called Dan Short. And we've written the bones of six TV series. But we've, we haven't had anything commissioned. We've got a, an application in with uh, NZ On Air for a Hey Hey production at the yeah, moment. Yeah. And we've also just had our first pilot commissioned uh, by the BBC. So that's a real wow. big milestone. Wow. We've had three get to the last commissioning stage yeah. before with the BBC. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, again, it's a whole different... So what thing. more can be said about that? Is that a bit of a wait Wait and see, watch this space? Yeah, we're just finding... We only got word yeah. last Friday. Wow. And, and we're just... Uh, you know, obviously, we, we might be doing it in Scotland. Yeah. Um, but we'll but we'll see. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of funny. Eh? It's, I always thought if you've got enough projects going, one of them is going to fly eventually. Flick <laughs> <laughs> enough things at the wall. Well, exactly. Um, you know? So you yeah, so you call time on the Hank the Wrestling Shark. Yeah, I mean, I still do. For, it, you still do it, it but it, you, for a while that was your thing, and so you sort yeah. of you managed to tunnel back out the other side of that and not, yeah. not be pegged as just that now, I've got I've got about another 30 kid songs written yeah but I decided I want to do my own EP of like normal material before going right. putting out another kid's right. album yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm working on it yeah. at the moment but then I guess um, I was lucky to meet Drew James who um, again <laughs> I met him at Havana Bar <laughs> And he, I, I could have told you. Yeah, <laughs> I could have guessed that. He'd rang me the year before asking advice about bringing Damien Dempsey mm -hmm. out to New Zealand because mm. he was um, promoting the odd show and mm. I knew that audience quite well. So Drew's a fantastic person about um, asking advice off people, you know. Mm. He really gets the intel before he does anything and, and gets, you know, research his stuff really well. Mm. So he was doing Cuba Dupa at the time and he needed a bit of a hand with bringing this... Uh, uh, Canadian band over and he said I need to find an extra few gigs for them I said well I'll help you out you know they were called Gordy McKeeman mm. and his Rhythm Boys and they're fantastic 
this fiddle player, I think they call him Crazy Legs. He dances and plays the fiddle at the same time. Mm. He actually stands on top of the double bass while the double bass player is playing mm. it. Mm. It's like roaring on this fiddle. A great mm. band. Mm. Um, so I helped him out. And then the next year, Drew said, will you take on the music programming for me, you know, working with him. And so I was delighted, you know. Um, it sort of like felt like a bit of a, a natural evolution, you know, in some ways. Mm. And... Uh, an amazing learning curve as well, just how different programming and putting on a festival is compared to what you might expect from yeah. being from an artist's point of view. So for people outside of Wellington or, or whatever who just don't know, I mean, how big is it happens over one weekend. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredibly complex event, yeah. you know. So yeah. we've got seven stages. Yeah. I programmed the music on three of them. Uh, so it's 17 hours of entertainment, mm. and but there's as much going on off stage yes. as there in as there is on the stages. Yeah, yeah. And we're really looking to blur the line between the audience yeah. and the performer. You I was going to say it's like our full flash mob mode now, isn't Completely. it? Completely. Yeah, yeah. And so to make that work and and the streets flow like that, you've got quite a narrow street, a long mm. narrow street. Mm. You've got all these stages around. Um, I had to, you know, really look at programming from a different perspective. You know. So there's a few things you throw out the window, like a big headliner. Mm-hmm. If you had Fat Freddy's drop on our swan stage, it would block up yes. the whole street. It would become a health and safety nightmare, yeah, yeah. and everything else would get ignored, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we have a kind of no headliner policy to yeah. some extent, you yeah. know? Um, the other thing is keeping the flow through the streets. So you try to program um, kind of a flip-flop stages, yeah. so you get people moving around. We don't... Um, put all genres like one genre at one stage because again mm. it'll just mean people won't move Bottle to the festival and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they won't get to experience yeah. all the, yeah, the, like, you, the street theatre things you want people to be moving around it's it, an advert completely. for uh, the city and for that well, that part of the yeah, city, that, that precinct, that's you know? right. Yeah, and and it's all about the, how you can use the unique environments around Cuba streets yeah, yeah. to stage stuff. I mean, we had with stage operas, we had uh, Stravinsky, Renard the Fox two years ago mm. um, in Hannah's Courtyard. We had the Eagle that has landed working with New Zealand Opera. You know, I mean, that's just such a beautiful space mm. to to watch an opera. You know, mm. um, you've got that car park down on. Um, Lead Street, mm. which we turn into like a, a fun zone, you know. Um, there's just all these little nooks and crannies, and, mm. and there's so the parades. So actually, having the Batacada drummers, which just adds so much life to the yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Um, then walking through, but you've got to program that according to what's happening on the stages. At the yeah, same they're time. like a they're like a jolt of caffeine, you know, when they come Completely. through. Completely. Yeah, yeah. We had a pyrotechnic parade yeah. uh, come through last year. Mm. Again, a whole another set of logistics. You need like, you know, twenty meters. Uh, radius around around them, you know. So all, all these little uh, com- complexities that, mm. but it's a wonderful event to work mm. on. And uh, again, for for an outdoor street festival, but a lot of the music I listen to at home is quite, uh, you know, moody singer songwriter stuff. That doesn't work at a street mm. festival, mm. you know. Mm. If yeah, you... so it's it's yeah, it's about recognizing. So you're calling on a lot of other people. You're, uh, you know. Asking other people for their knowledge, or doing, doing loads of research, yeah. stepping outside, yeah. So another thing we're trying to do is uh, like concentrate on mass music projects. Mm-hmm. Like we've had a different or- last year we had a mass bol- a Cuba Street Balkan Wedding Orchestra. The year before we had a mass Cuba Street Funk Orchestra. Mm. Next year we're doing a, a mass Cuba Street Ska Orchestra. You know, and we try and get 
uh, foreign bands to come and collaborate with Wellington mm, musicians. Mm. Sort of, it, it's it's a really rich experience for everyone involved. Yeah. You know, um, it gives Wellington musicians to perform alongside world class musicians and start to develop develop partnerships and relationships, mm. which will hopefully give them opportunities to go go abroad as well. You know. What are you like on the day of these events? Because I've well, seen you with your, you know, phone in one hand and uh, walking and to another, RT in yeah. another and your high vis and it's a bit crazy because yeah. the last two two years I've also run the street food festival, yeah. <laughs> so I've been dealing with hundred and fifteen odd food vendors. Yeah. So on top of all the music and I was the business liaison. So if you get any cranky resident, yeah, I was organising car parking. Yeah. So it's. It's pretty manic, to be honest. Yeah. But I always manage to find time to have a pint and a coffee and a chat, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, they go remarkably smoothly, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of preparation goes into it. What's your been your approach to... I mean, I, I feel like I can sort of guess what you're going to say, but what's been your approach to the kind of conflict management and resolution around this sort of stuff? Um, How do you deal with... Uh, you know, if not on the on the day, like angry emails afterwards or, or in the build-up or people getting in your face. I think it's just trying to figure out, uh, you know, where people are coming from. Um, yeah, what's angered them? What, what, yeah, they? what they want to get out of yeah. the festival. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that a lot of businesses and that have their best days music, uh, sorry, <laughs> best days music, best days yeah. business yeah. in 20, 25 years. Yeah. But there's there's an amount that don't. It doesn't yeah. work for them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we have to recognise that, realise that we're coming in, encroaching on their space yeah. and trying to be uh, sympathetic towards yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just all about having, having you know, developing a relationship with these yeah. people and understanding where they're coming from yeah. and trying to minimise the impact. Yeah. You know, we displace a few hundred residents the car parks over the weekend you know yeah, yeah. it's about trying to make that as smooth as possible for them yeah. you know um, you know musicians are coming and having to lug mm. you know instruments through the streets and that it's not easy for them either you yeah, know yeah, the everyone's not great yeah. everyone's giving us great deals and, yeah. and, and compromising on you know yeah a lot to be a part of it yeah which is a huge you know honour for us and it makes the whole thing happen you know um so around this time, a year or so, uh, either side of this, you decide you're not busy enough and the world needs another music festival. Yeah, well that was when I started, <laughs> a, a few years ago I got out uh, Pauline Scanlon, Alan Doherty and Tola Custy mm. to do a collaboration with Trinity Roots mm -hmm. and uh, we, we put together this project called Motu Elon, um, which has actually been quite successful in, in its own right. Uh, we provided the sort of musical attaché side of things for the Irish president last year right. when he was travelling through yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, we went to Celtic Connections in Scotland, performed over there, and, and also did festivals around New Zealand. But the, the venue we chose at the time was um, up at the Tuatara Brewery in Parapara Umu. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the reason was a, a mate of mine and a family friend, actually, Paul Brown, he was, he was working up there and he was really into doing innovative shows and and trying to, you know, think outside the box mm. for, for the brewery, how they could, you know, mm. gain marketing exposure and just put on cool events. And we sold out the show 500 tickets in the warehouse and we realised that there was actually a real demand for an event up the coast. And because I'd just started doing the Cuba Dupa and was being mentored by Drew and the team there, I was like, shit, maybe I should put on a little festival up the coast, piggyback off Cuba Dupa to some extent, mm. share a couple of the artists, you know. Mm. Mm. It helped us be able to get other international artists over. 
And uh, but again, being quite n naive, you know, about what's involved. I think my initial budget was like <laughs> half of what it ended up being. <laughs> so the first year we lost a pile of money, and uh, kind of had to keep on going out of necessity to pay back debt. Really, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And uh, but but an amazing experience building up a, a festival like that mm. from the ground. And mm. it's a beautiful venue out there southwards. It's amazing. I it's, mean, I only went to the first one so yeah. far. I hope to get to the. I've been away the previous years, the, the following years, but um, that first one was amazing, I thought. It was, just, yeah, you, it was, you walked in and just went, this is going to be great. You know? Yeah. And I think that was the feeling everyone had. Like, Definitely. The gates opened. It's very, you know, it's very family friendly. That's the sort of yeah. aim around it, I think. But people, you walk in and go, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like the gates opening to Willy Wonka's place. Yeah. It, head down the path. What's going what's around the corner? You know, what's going to be here? And, and that's the thing. It's a, yeah. it's a real experience, Costella. You know, yeah. it's an experience of discovery. Um, you know, going up the coast in the summer is something we mm. always did as kids, and yeah. I've got very special uh, memories around that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, in some ways, going up the coast brings me back to my, my childhood, you mm. know? Mm. And it's like this opportunity to have a crazy backyard in some ways, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but obviously, as it becomes more commercial than that, um, yes. or, or sorry, more, you yeah. know, more bigger bigger costs and everything, um, you know, it's the reaction that happens, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like you have you, to improve the yeah. the overall delivery of the yes. experience, and with that comes a lot of costs and yeah. also a lot of uh, systems and. And uh, you lose the the some of you you run the risk of losing the risk of you know some of the intimacy or the the family experience you're going for you know it's that I think we've managed you, you to, had, to keep but, that and, and I but think, that's the constant juggle right yeah. now is how do we make this viable yeah exactly sustainable and, yeah, yeah yeah sustainable viable and yet how do we retain and build on its its unique charm rather than become just another set of stages for just another completely set of you know yeah and, and one thing that I mean I think a lot of people probably struggle with in a conventional marketing sense is we don't have like a, a narrow target audience it's not mm. like homegrown where you're appealing to the 18 to 25 age group or yeah. rhythm vines or you know yeah, yeah. it's it's a really diverse audience yeah and demographic and it, you're trying to actually introduce people to things completely you know, which again usually festivals in New Zealand work best when they either pitch to an audience stick to a genre tried and proven or yeah. exactly like yeah. things like Laneway where it's a brand yeah. and you know there might be one or two things people aren't aware of but they've got time to go and check them out and they do because they know roughly the ballpark yeah of that music Completely. whereas you're actually trying to you know spin people's heads a little we're with, trying to attract people who enjoy a quality experience exactly and so they're actually just they don't need to know the back catalogue they don't yeah. need to you know sing along but then there might be someone like you know you know the first year you had Don McGlashan yeah and it was like you know he just about every song he played he ever is knew is it is it yeah yeah, exactly. yeah and you know we've been really lucky I mean yeah. bands that I was huge fans of like the Phoenix Foundation you know yeah. and Lawrence Arabia that haven't yeah. been played the last couple of years and yeah. they've all been so obliging and, and, yeah. and like what we're I guess again guys probably similar age to us that are good at having families yeah. now yeah 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 want to be able to listen to quality music yeah. and actually for the kids to be able to come along as well yeah yeah this but is what dad does yeah. there's a bit of that you know and, and, nice and then on top yeah. of that you've got your hipster and the hospo crowd who yes. turn up you know yeah. you've got old hippies it's yeah. like it's a really interesting mix of yeah. people you know yeah yeah and I find that walking around the festival there's so many many people I want to stop and talk to yeah unfortunately I've been too hectic the last yeah. couple of years you know yeah yeah but uh 
again, it's it's a funny thing in music festival. It's like you work hard all year long. Mm. I probably average twenty hours a week on just Coastella across the mm. year, mm. and then it, it's one day. Yeah, and you've got one day to try and recoup a few hundred grand of costs. You know, just yeah. on the financial yeah, side, a year of work, a year plus of work. And last week, last year, we had seven days of pissing rain when it yeah. came up in your iPhone. So that's hugely stressful as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess there's a bit of a gambler in people like me who <laughs> who, who do this. And you did these things like Costella basically has coincided with you becoming a father. Yes. So you've got a nearly three-year-old yeah. daughter, and. <laughs> you know, well, that's why it started kind of ready because I I blocked out a couple of months where I had nothing on after Bubby came. Yeah, but actually, idle time isn't good for my general mental health. Yeah, right. I find I need to be busy or stressed. No, no, I'm I, on my best. I guessed state. that a while ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tend to overcommit to things. Yeah, and it's like this year with uh, Damien Dempsey, and for those yeah. who don't know, he's just a, you know a monster of an Irish musician Brian Eno said he's the greatest artist you know his favourite Irish artist mm-hmm. he's uh, got a real social conscience power power ballads almost you know mm-hmm. there's hints of rock reggae folk in there um, which sounds unusual to describe it like <laughs> that but it mm-hmm. works you know he's produced by John Reynolds who's produced the, the you know the Indigo Girls mm-hmm. you know done stuff with uh you know, Jimmy Page or Robert Plant, Brian Eno, as I said. Mm, um, mm. So he got in contact and said, hey, will you put on a few gigs for us this November? Mm. I was like, yeah, sweet. So then the same week... <laughs> I'm not busy then. <laughs> yeah, I know. The same week, uh, Mick Flannery, who's a wonderful songwriter, yeah. won the International Songwriting Competition in Nashville when he was 19, um, very highly endorsed by Tom Waits and all sorts, mm. you know. Um, his manager said, will you put on a few gigs in November? <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, that could... I said, who would go well with Mick Flannery? So I gave uh, Lisa O'Neill, who's a friend of mine mm. and a songwriter mm. I met on that train trip. She said, would you fancy coming out doing a few gigs? I was like, it'd be quite cool to get a comedian as well and put it together as like an Irish festival. We've never had an Irish mm. festival in New Zealand as mm. such, you know? And so to make these gigs work, I need to put on one in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. So soon I'd con myself into putting on a national Irish festival in three centres. Yeah. So I added two comedians to the bill. Um, and then I met an interesting guy called, lovely fella, Brian Glick from uh, America. And he's involved with the American Film Institute. He's over there working at it at the moment. And also Sundance and all that, you know. And he's got an obsession with Irish films. And uh, I got talking to him at a, a launch for a festival that's been postponed called Wellington X. Mm. And uh, I said, well, do you want to, how would you fancy co-promoting some films? So now we've gone and got seven, we're bringing seven films out from Ireland. <laughs> so now I'm having to figure out the logistics of shipping films and, all, mm. you know, the formats they come yeah. in, how to promote a film festival. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well as that, we've got like Kayleys, you know, the Kayleys, yeah, yeah. Uh, Irish dancing, where yeah. people come out learn, learn how to set dance. Yeah. Um, we've got a Gaelic football game in Wellington featuring Justin I've, Lester and I've played at Kayleys. I've been really, playing, yeah, man. Sure, we might get I've you been, on board, sir. Oh no, no, no! I'm, those days are done. But um, <laughs> you want this thing to be a success. Oh. <laughs> so last night uh, we're going to Bali for ten days or twelve days yeah. on Monday, and my partner said, "Now you're not bringing now, your computer." I was just going to say, what do you do when you're on holiday? I mean, I, I imagine you'll end up forming a band and starting a <laughs> festival. Um, minimum, but what else? You might write a book too. Well, it'd be nice to just uh, you know do some creative writing. 
But when when we booked the holiday, I hadn't decided to run an Irish festival, so I sort of had to say to Joe, I do have to to bring my laptop and do an hour or so a day. You know, she's like, You promised you wouldn't bring your laptop. I said, Yeah, but at that stage, I hadn't decided to run an Irish festival, which is 60 events, you know. Mm. Uh, But listen, it's fun, and I think it's like the. The more you've got on, the more organised you need to be. Mm-hmm. And so you find a way of juggling these stuff. How does um, she cope? Well, she's yeah, amazing, you yeah. know, and she's the breadwinner, really. So yeah. a lot of these projects, as you all know, yeah. it's for the love of music and yeah. the love of putting on events. Yeah, yeah. And they don't really pay mm. for the energy you put in. Yeah, of you course. Know? You're not doing it for that. You no, you're, you're taking you, a big you, hit and you're compromising. yeah. yeah. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world, you know. Yeah. So I'm very lucky I've got that support, mm, and, and, mm. and Josie works really hard, and we sort of do a juggle things, you know. But uh, make, make make time to see each other occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly, you know. And she likes a bit of her own time, and I don't like being on my own. Yeah. You know, I get yeah. sort of the heebie-jeebie. I get sp- sick of myself real quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to be out doing things, yeah, so... Uh, that's pretty exciting, you know. So that'll take you through to the end of the year, the Irish Festival. Yeah. And then, and and then, God, you get, you're in Cuba Duper yeah, and I'm Costello, you're already yeah, right in the zone of that, but then they come around February and March. Yeah. And then after that, this year I thought I was going to take a break, but yeah. uh, I'd been to Montreal last year to a showcase to see some bands. Yeah. And I met uh, Ben Howe there from Flying Nun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he'd just recently taken on the job at Massey yeah so he asked would I come in a lecture on uh, artist development and uh, music promotion yeah um, so I was like oh, that'd be interesting you know and actually it was a really valuable experience having to break down and put some structure around what you do mm. you know mm, and around mm, teaching mm, it mm. and actually it's been great for my own systems um, actually having taught that for half a semester at Massey. You know? Yeah, yeah, then you, you, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's completely. right, I can and, see that. And yeah. how can I actually do that better, yeah. streamline that and save myself a lot of hassle, you know? Yeah. And actually meeting some of the talent coming through there was mm. amazing too, you know? Mm. It's people I'd, I'd love to work with in the future, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, but this, that next year, I think it looks like the TV. Yeah, might... and you mentioned hopefully trying to create like a... An EP or so of yeah. your of your own non children's song yeah. material. So that's I've got like five away. songs uh, recorded already. Yeah, um, I'm recording with Thomas Voice. Yeah, um, who's got he used to be in Rhombus and he's yeah. got the Rhombus Studios on down at Toy Poniki. Yeah, Abel Smith Street. So we just whenever we get like an evening free, I go in and do a little bit more. Mm. You know, mm. some of the songs are over ten years old, mm. and then I really just wanted to document them and and you know. But it's, it's a lot harder to be... Like, I, I've really enjoyed producing. In fact, if I could do anything all the time, it would probably be producing in the studio, you know? Mm. And I've been lucky having gone into the like the surgery with Lee and produced albums for Mel Parsons uh, a few years ago. I did the Frank Burkett band there last year um, with Thomas as well, a band called The Nukes from mm. Auckland. I produced mm. their last mm. album. And I love keeping my hand in and that sort of stuff. And it'd be great to be doing it all the time. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to make a living out of now. Yeah. Not many bands sort of uh, can afford the luxury of a producer. Yeah, that's Although right. Although I think it's what's missing in a lot of albums these Absolutely, days. Absolutely, yeah. But I can see, yeah, I can see you kind of, I guess, semi-retiring into that role. Like, you know, when you, when you lose the spark for event managing 
side of things, you, you'll you'll always be some sort of player. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, and then I can see you sort of. Yeah, it's a great thing going into the studio and yeah. like having nothing at the beginning of the day. Yeah, and actually at the end of the day, you've you've got this piece, you know, with all this emotion in it, you know, mm, and mm. the potential to move people and uh, you know make them think differently. So we've mentioned spearfishing a few times and I know I don't know why I keep mentioning it because I know fucking nothing about it but I see your photos on your Facebook page all the time yeah. and I know that this is a passion of yours so do you want to talk a little bit about how, how when and where that came into your life now you're 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 part of a band of brothers aren't yeah, you yeah I've got yeah. three younger brothers and they're and all and you're all in it they're all <laughs> really into spearfishing yeah yeah um it's actually one of my brother's stag do's on, on Saturday. Little does he know that's actually going to enter the, the, one of the challenges of the day. But uh, my, my dad was into diving and loved getting crayfish. And then he worked with Derek Wilshire. And mm. Derek started taking me out, gave me my first spear gun when I was 14 and mentored me through it. And uh, just the ocean, it's that one place where you completely switch off. And this is free diving. So mm. when you hold your breath and you dive down, like, you know, you'd be shooting fish at 20 to 30 metres sometimes and you go and you're holding your breath for a couple of minutes and it's like an enforced meditation um, so you know meditation is all about mm. the breath mm. and what it does is a focus obviously on the breath and you know all these other thoughts that are coming in it lets them go you know dissolve and disappear and I guess when you're down 20 metres and you've been holding your breath for a minute and a half you're not thinking of much else apart from the need to breathe you know mm. and fish you know, mm. um, so at the end of the day, you've just got this beautiful sense of calm about you and the relaxation. You never sleep. It sounds fucking stressful and yeah. horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might die. You, you might, well, you yeah. might come up empty-handed. You might, uh, yeah, you might see you know, sharks. You so. might, yeah, exactly. So, but it's in Wellington. We're so lucky with just the richness of the Kaimoana and the marine life around here, yeah. and yeah. it's wonderful seeing these marine reserves popping up, which yeah. are doing even greater things to preserve that. Yeah. Um, but I, I just love getting out with it to be the Kapiti Island of Makala or around Fitzroy Bay around the south coast getting out getting a few power Tiriki um, you know Blue Moki I get some big kingfish snapper they're the odd time down here and uh, just going home and filleting them up then cooking it it's like a, a real ritual yeah yeah fact, I, I always used so again to, it's that it's that starting the day with nothing yeah completely and you know, the whole day, it, it's a journey. It is completely. That, that, and that's completed by the, you know, the end of the ritual yeah. is, is wiping the corners of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lovely experience. There's a lovely bond that goes with mm. the people you dive with because yeah. you have to really trust them and trust that they have your back, you know. Yeah. There's yeah. a thing called shallow water blackout, which some divers, uh, you know, blackout just before getting to the mm. surface. And there's mm. been a few great divers, even in Wellington in recent years, that have died from that. Mm. So you need to dive with people... Uh, who, you know, if you're going to be pushing yourself, yep. have your back. Yeah. You know, we see sharks out there and all, all sorts, you know. Yeah. it's But it's just amazing on a, a day, you know, you're on the way back in the evening and there's a pot of dolphins swimming behind you and, you know, you, you might see a whale out there in the, the Cook Strait. It's just a wonderful experience and getting... And I find that it opens up a lot of creativity for me as well, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if I've got a few days diving in a row, I actually feel a lot more poetic yeah. and, you know, it's funny how those things rub off in you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it puts stuff into perspective too, you know. At the end of the day, you know, you have to, I kind of remind myself and people like Tim O'Brien are great at that. It's like music's the most important thing to them, but it's only music yeah. as well, yeah, you know. Yeah. 
and it's only a music festival. Yeah. You know, it's awesome and it's a great we're getting towards creating a sustainable music festival, you know. But but at the end of the day it's over and it's gone and people yeah. get their lives for the rest of the year, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um are there people that you've either like you know like Tim and so forth or people, and Kelly Joe Phelps there are people that you've brought out here that you want to bring back and that hasn't worked out or you're still working on are there people, people that you've really you know any sort of holy grail acts that you'd yeah, love to yeah I mean that's my, my enthusiasm gets the better of me I yeah. think but this I want to bring everyone back and I want to bring yeah. everyone over yeah yeah this, Valerie June I've been trying to yes. really hard to get yeah, her over the yeah. last few years she's amazing her yeah. agent hasn't bit in, bit in yet you know um I mean, imagine getting John Prine down here, you mm, know. There's, mm. There really is. There's a band called the Bahamas, who I know actually got down and played in Auckland mm. on a bill with the Black Seeds and uh, Ben Harper or something like that mm. uh, last year. I'd love to get them down. There's so many, really, you know. There's mm. a lot of great Irish acts I'd like to get down as well. And uh, the, the Villagers. Yeah. Yeah, them. Yep. Um, you know, they're all long shots and they're all pipe yeah, dreams. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But you've got to have them, right? Yeah, yes. completely, you know? And and I think that's how these things start with an idea. Yeah. Well, I think music uh, is, is well served by having people like you... Thanks, you know, Simon, in, yeah. ...involved in it, because, I, I mean, I know you pretty well. We've known each other for a long time, but I've uh, kind of worked together a little bit here yeah. and there and, and, and so forth, but but I always know you're, um, you're in it for the right reasons, yeah. you know? And I think I mean that's come across in what we've talked about today. But you're you're uh, you're in it because you love it, yeah. And you want to share and spread that. And it's 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 kind of funny. Every now and again, you know, you have doubts. You think, shit, am I better off just getting a, a nine to five? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, don't do it. No. <laughs> and then my my my. And then I think about what I do, and it all just yeah. seems quite dull. And my brother mm. Steve said to me, he said everything's going to seem dull after what you've done, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's sort of... Good. You nearly became John Prine's pop dealer. I mean, <laughs> fuck, you know, that's, that's that's the top of the top. Yeah, actually, that was awesome. Uh, he, he brought me for a, a walk through his studio out the back. He had this wow. room and he had an old uh, Wurlitzer jukebox mm. loaded up with all of his favourite, I think, uh, 45s or something. Yeah. I'll have to... Before you go, I have to show you my poem I wrote called John Prine Showed Me His Pussy on Instagram. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I had all these fake John Prine, because I was posting so much stuff about John Prine, I got these fake John Prine people. Right, okay. <laughs> so, God. yeah, I'll show you that. He, uh, but John, he brought me out and he, he said, Jerry, he said, I wrote the song once with this guy. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm not going to tell you the song. He said, I really didn't like that song. He said, I said to my friend, he said, I don't want my name of that song, you know? And so the guy said, it became a top 10 country hit in America, this song, you know? And the guy rang him, he goes, hey, John, that song's trying to, it's starting to make quite a bit of money. Are you sure you don't want your name on that song? He goes, don't put my name anywhere near that song. And then a, the, the next week, this beautiful jukebox with like stained glass and everything and yeah. arrived on his doorway as a present, you know, for his part in co-writing the song, wow. you know? <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. I mean, he's he's uh, what he's kind of like the gold standard in songwriting, really, isn't he? Yeah, he's, completely. You know, right up. I mean, obviously there's Bob Dylan and, and so forth, but you know, in terms of a uh, a journeyman songwriter, it's it's him. Yeah, he's the real deal. You know, he's 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 and the, a super nice person to meet. Wow, like just yeah. so. I mean, he has played in New Zealand, but it's been a long time. Yeah, you know, he's. I, I think you know, you mentioning him, it's like he's on a lot of people's list 
to 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 see get down here. Well, again. he's getting older, and I guess he's got so many years left of touring. You know? Yeah, but then he's also, you know, he's just put out an album that's really great. It's amazing, you know, isn't eh? it? It's so good. It's so good, and um, and that's his first one in a while, yeah. and it's. You know, but you know he's no, a real flavor. You know Bonavere's getting yeah, to collaborate, and yeah. you know he's like everyone wants him now. Yeah, you know yeah. he's he's going to be expensive. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's you know true. if we tell him we've got good weed down here, you never know. <laughs> Coromandel Gold, John, you know your life will never be the same. <laughs> um, do we need to talk about anything else? I think we've. What's on your list? Yeah, no, I think we've covered most no, of it. Uh, always, always up for always wanting to be turned on to great new albums. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah. So always appreciate people flicking forward suggestions, and uh, I love getting really deep into an album, listening to it two or three times a day for a couple mm. of months if I find the right album. Yeah. I just found a, a an album by an indie band called Hearth the Unclear. Oh yeah, yeah. Of, they applied yeah. for Coastella. Yeah. And it's like a, an amazingly produced. Yeah, album of great songs. You yeah, they good. And it's good to see so much cool stuff coming through at the moment in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It like gives you real hope, you know, because mm-hmm. as you say, there's a lot of people like going down the tried and proven mm-hmm. route, but actually there's so much exciting new music coming through. Yeah, it's a great time for New Zealand. I know it's almost like we could have an alternative homegrown, you know, now. Well, exactly, you know, by which I mean, you know, and I, I know that sort of exists within homegrown. It's there. You could make that happen, but you'd still have to go to homegrown. You know, yeah, to, to, yeah. You know, and it yeah. could almost exist on its but own. We're looking at for Coastella next year, definitely having a bit of a theme of some of those younger yeah. indie bands and yeah. the and the and the new kind of era. You know, yeah. Of of these younger bands coming through, there's a lot of cool stuff. You know, the Miltones from Auckland. Yeah, the yeah. Beths, who I saw you at their gig on yeah. Friday. Yeah. I mean, again, a fantastic, like yeah. such, mm. you know, future potential. Yeah. And, and they've done the groundwork too. I mean, I've seen them playing with Sal Valentine and the Baby Shakes. They've got a real, they were in a show band effectively, mm, you know. Mm, so mm. they've got their stage performance, you know, mm. damn well, really tight. Well, um, the message really is that everyone needs to go to the Irish Festival yeah. to ev- see everything they can, sell out Costella, uh, and then you can maybe bring John Prime. Yeah, and yeah, then get along to Cuba Duper. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Cuba yeah. Duper as well, I'm really excited yeah. about there's a, a band, a Mardi Gras band from New Orleans I'm bringing down this year. Yeah. I've got a, a band from Canada yeah. that we're, we're looking at bringing down. Every year you get surprised at the new uh, kind of collaborations going on in, in Wellington. Yeah. You know, with these, you know, amazing musicians and they're just in so many different ensembles. There's one guy called Ben Hunt who's a trumpet player and I pretty much have had to program Cuba Dupa around him the last few years. Right. I think one year he might have done like 17 gigs or something. Yeah. Bugger didn't think to tell me until about, you know, the last day of programming before we went to the print. <laughs> Had to re rejig the bit. Oh but now God. we chat earlier saying, yeah, who yeah. are you playing with this year, Ben? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. How can we fit all Oscar Levin, who's another yeah. one, yeah. Uh, just plays in so many bands. Wow. And they're all great too. Yeah, yeah. far out. Um, well, hey, it's been great to catch up because, you know, we, we see each other a bit at, at gigs and so forth and in the street uh, often. But uh, I think we've talked about doing this podcast for almost as long as I've been doing this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you know, of all the people that I've had to ask a few times and 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 um, try and make it happen, I always think, fuck, I'll be lucky that you'll sit still for an hour. <laughs> Uh, you haven't even checked your phone. Yeah, no. So, no, listen, uh, thanks so much, yeah. Simon, for having me. And yeah. it, 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 it's great to chat about. I mean, I always love getting your recommendations musically as well, you know. It's mm. always a, 
and you know controversial a lot of them but I think you're, yeah, you're most of the time you're on the money with what you oh, like with what you like compared yeah. to what you don't like you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah no it's great and and as you can see I'm constantly juggling so actually trying to find an hour where the mind's not racing like yeah yeah no you've, thing thing is, no you've done well it's, I mean you're, as I say your story's so good and so funny I think excellent. you know and it's just uh, I just I think the the thing that I keep sort of saying how funny your stories are and how they all start the same way, but I just want to reiterate again, it's it's all because you've done the work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that anyone, like, not that this is going out to people wanting to get into music, because mm. a lot of your listeners mm. are accomplished in their own right, mm. but I think being an easy person to work with and having an open mind and actually being interested in people can well, pe- get you as far as, as, as the best chops I think, in the world. I think know? that's actually really important. People um, forget that, that... Yeah. Uh, you can have all the skills in the world, but you've got to be a decent person. Completely, want to work yeah. with You know, want to work with you. Especially this sort of work where the hours extend way beyond and outside of yeah. normal, regular hours. So suddenly yeah. you're actually occupying the same space as someone for 70 hours in a row. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you're actually on the road with someone or in a studio with someone or whatever. Completely. You've got to try and be a decent person yeah. for as long as you can. If, I, if I'm offered a, a tour and I'm offered uh, often asked to be musical director for a tour yeah. and get the musicians on board I say who do I want to hang with for a month yeah you know yeah 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 and you've got the the choice of the cream of the crop in anyway you yeah know? yeah but it's like who's going to be a good hang well I ride an old paint and I lead an old dam I'm going to Montana to throw the hula hand my feet's in the stirrups my bridle's in my hand Fairly well, little Annie I'm going to Montana